we're doing in this series is every message is answering one of these pushbacks. Last week is a responsibility pushback. This week, we're going to talk about moral authority. We're going to talk about moral authority. Who has the moral authority to be a witness for Christ. And again, when we think about moral authority, there's so many things that disqualify us. Why? Because some of us, we have past circumstances. Things that we've done are things that were done to us that make us feel shameful, make us feel guilt, make us feel like we're disqualified because of what's in our past. Some of us, it's not in the past, it's our current situation. We're living in a way that we know isn't good, isn't healthy. If you're a Christ follower, you know it isn't what God wants for your life. When you think, oh man, my life is such a mess, such a disaster. I don't have the moral authority to be a witness. I'm not holy. I'm not worthy. Or I'm not like so-and-so. Because we all know a so-and-so, right? Who's so good at being good. They're so good at being holy or worthy and we're not like that or maybe it's because there's so much shame and guilt in our lives we conclude that God can't love me or he can't use my life I mean so many reasons for why we don't have the moral authority to be witnesses what we're going to do for the next four weeks is every week we're going to look at a character a person from the book of acts a person who lived there was part of it and we're going to try to answer our pushbacks by looking at what god did in their life today we're going to look at the character known as saul now many of you may not know saul there's a character in the old testament called saul who was a king uh, most of you know who saul became because after saul had a life-changing moment with jesus jesus gave him a new name his name became Paul, that is the Apostle Paul, who wrote a large portion of the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul had a very shady past. What if I told you the great Apostle Paul, who so many throughout church history have looked up to, who wrote so much of our New Testament, was not quote-unquote a cool guy? What if I told you that he was completely against Christianity, completely against the church, that wherever he could, he would seek to, 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 to find and destroy Christians and the church? That literally, he would go and get like licenses from the local authority to go into the homes of those who follow Jesus and arrest them and destroy what they own and drag them to prison and even to be complicit in the murder of people who were killed, not because they committed a crime or because, because it ended wrong, but because they simply followed Jesus. It's a Saul story. A classic example of this is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul. Many years later, he's now giving, he's now witnessing, if you will, uh, to a bunch of kind of, um, uh, what would you call them, like royal advisors, like a royal court. He's witnessing them and he's explained that when Jesus told him, I'm going to use you, Paul. I'm going to redeem your life and use it for good. He was like, you can't use me. I mean, come on. I don't have the moral authority. to. Are you kidding? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I'm doing? And so he said, Lord, I replied. This is Paul speaking to Jesus. These people know that I went from one synagogue, it's like a Jewish church, to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. I mean, come on, even if you're watching online or in the room and you're not a Christ follower, you would say it's, it's, it's a probably, it probably crosses the line to imprison and beat people just because they believe something different than you. 
I mean, surely it's not a good thing in society if people who want to follow Jesus are being beaten up and arrested and all their possessions confiscated. That's kind of scary. This is who Paul was. And what Paul is saying to Jesus, listen, these people know my past. They were there. They know Saul. How could I ever be a witness to these people? And it gets worse in verse 20. And when the blood of your martyr, martyr is someone who dies for their faith, Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr in history. He was simply killed because God used him to bring good news to people who needed hope. And Paul was there. He said, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who are killing him. And again, a first century killing was brutal. I mean, all killing is brutal. But what would happen was they would get this person, they would beat him to a pulp, and they'd take off all their, kind of, their jackets and their hoodies, anything they'd get in the way, and they'd find these big stones, and they would just keep throwing stones at this person until they were dead, which took a long time, right? Can you imagine the screens of agony people would go through when they were, when they were being killed in this way? And Paul was complicit. He was there, approving and guarding, agreeing with the murder of an innocent person. So hang on a second. If you're with me, you're thinking, how does God use someone like that to write a large portion of the New Testament? I mean, this guy is totally disqualified. Like if this were the voice, like, eh, eh, like you're out of here. I mean, you can't, surely you can't be used to do good in our world. So the question we're asking today, uh, off the back of Saul's example, the question we're asking for ourselves is, when our life is a mess, how can we be a witness to the message? When our life is a mess, how can we be a witness to the message? So we're going to turn to another book in the New Testament. It's a book called Timothy, and this is all connected because... Timothy was the pastor of one of the largest churches in the New Testament. It was a church in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus existed in what you might call today modern-day Turkey. It was a large, cosmopolitan, very multiracial, diverse population, all sorts of people. It was a Roman city. They worshipped the goddess Diana, the god of fertility. People were very you know, um, diverse in their, in their culture and their lifestyle. It was a very, very mixed-up place. And Timothy, who's also so in the book of Acts, another character from Acts is now in this city leading the church. And he's going through some difficult times, yeah? Because people aren't exactly embracing the Christian message. He's trying to be a good witness, but he isn't getting a good response. And so this young man is struggling. He's trying to figure out, like, can God really save these people? Like, God, can God do something with the people of Ephesus? And the Apostle Paul, who now is a much older man, is like a spiritual father, like a mentor to the young Timothy. He writes him a letter to encourage him. The reason why it's called 1 Timothy isn't because there's two different Timothys, it's because there's two letters to Timothy, okay? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. So in the first letter, Timothy, kind of like an email, Paul tries to encourage him with his own story. He tries to remind Timothy that if God can use me, if that's Paul, then God can use anyone. So he starts in verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So the first thing Paul starts off with is gratitude. Which, by the way, if you're not a Christ follower, and like I said, you're kind of half asleep, and you're looking for something you can take away from today's message, always start with gratitude. 
Life works better when we start with gratitude. If you have something to say in terms of complaining or you're not happy or you feel like something didn't go your way, you're in your restaurant having food and you want to make a minute, always start with find a reason to be grateful. Thank you for your attitude. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the, and here's what I want to say. Like starting a gratitude will really do you a good service. Well, the Apostle Paul starts off thanking God because ultimately he was the chief anti-witness to the Christian faith. Right? I mean, if we're called to be witnesses, the Apostle Paul, as he was called Saul, was an anti-witness. Because not only was he himself not a believer, not a follower, but he was actually against those who were believing and were following, like we saw in a very brutal fashion. And the reason why then he is grateful is because, because God had changed his life. Paul was grave because he knew, and only he could know, how much God had changed his life. People ask me all the time, why are you a pastor? And I smile and say, I don't know. <laughs> I need help. And, then, and besides the joke, and the truth is this, because when God changed my life, and I, I, I came to faith in the late teens, wasn't raised in what we call a Christ-following home, I didn't have friends or family who were Christ followers, came to faith first with my whole family, and that brought a whole bunch of interesting conversations those first few years. But as I thought about going to college and getting, a, you know, as we do, a job and having money and living the Western dream, something in me just didn't sit right. Like, I just, I, I just can't go through life doing everything just for me to be happy. People need to know the good news. Because man, yeah, you can have all the wealth and all the fame and all the glory. You can have a million followers on TikTok or Instagram. You can literally own a palace on a hill. Cristiano Ronaldo can be in your favorite section on your phone. But nothing can replace the peace and purpose and sense of meaning and identity that comes with following Jesus. And I believe that to my core. I do not apologize for that. And I want everyone to at least have the opportunity to hear. Whether or not they receive it or accept it, that's up to you. My job is to simply share that what God has done for me, I am grateful. Jamie Corkin, I am grateful for what God has done in my life. Not just that he changed it, but that he's changing it. Because every now and again, the old me pops up uninvited. Are you with me? Every now and again, it's like, no, no, you, we dealt with you. Like, you're done. Like, you're, you've had enough. You've, you've controlled this ship for too long. It's, it's time for you to go away. And the truth is, we can't change ourselves, right? So many people look in. Maybe you're here and you're, and you're not a Christ follower. And you're like, well, you know, Christians are just good people. No, no, no. Understand, the change doesn't come from the outside in. The change comes from the inside out. It's when we receive the Holy Spirit and He comes to live inside of us by virtue of our faith in God that He changes us from the inside out. All of a sudden, our habits, our tastes, our language, sometimes our facial expressions, our values, everything changes because we've changed. And Paul understands how profound and how powerful that change is and was and so he is grateful for the change in his life, he goes on to explain, verse 13, for even though I was a blasphemer, that is someone who basically uh, talks bad against the name of God, and a persecutor, someone who attacks those who believe something different, and a violent man, I was shown mercy. I mean, think about this. What do you do when someone's, against, someone's speaking bad against you, someone's attacking you, and doing it in a violent way? 
I'll tell you what you don't do is you don't show them mercy. You show them vengeance, right? As we say in Ireland, you give them their comeuppance. Anyone? You give them what they deserve. Do you ever see someone acting like a fool and running around or shouting and doing stupid things and they fall flat in their face? And no one goes, oh my gosh. They all go, sorry, was you right? He got what's coming to him. It's like this, this pervasive social law, like he got his just desserts. But God is different. Because even though the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was, spoke badly about, about him, and even though he attacked his people in a violent way, God showed him mercy. See, Saul was a blasphemer because he mocked Jesus. And I can remember many years ago being like a, I don't know, maybe 14-year-old lad, and me and my friends were hanging out. It was like late at night, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Some, some of you, it's actually not the night, it's the morning, it's okay. And uh, we used to turn on like God TV. And we used to laugh at all these idiots. Running on the blaze, their suits and their funny hair. Praying and worshipping. Lifting their hands in church. Are you mad? What are they doing? Is it a touchdown every Sunday? I mean, come on. In fact, I remember guys used to make funny videos about Christians buying TVs, right? You know what I'm saying? First of all, you got a Walkman. Okay, Lord, thank you for my Walkman. Now it's an iPad. Okay, now it's a 40-inch. Now it's a 57-inch. Let's go. Oh my gosh, now it's like a cinema screen. And if you really want to go for it, it's like, praise you, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, this was me. <laughs> I used to mock people like me. Be careful who you mock, you might become them. I suppose it's a life lesson. You know what I'm saying? And Paul mocked Jesus, or Saul, I should call him. He also was a persecutor, meaning he hated Christ followers. He didn't just like, wasn't like neutral, not interested. He was completely against them and he was violent, meaning he was angry and all this was real and it was horrible and it hurt people and destroyed families and hurt the church. And yet God showed Saul mercy. Now what is mercy? We use the word all the time in the English vernacular. Well, mercy can be defined as not getting what you deserve, right? You commit a crime. You deserve to be punished. Mercy is you're not punished. You said you would do something, you made an agreement, you didn't do it, you now are in debt to someone, but they don't hold you accountable for that debt, they let you off the hook. That is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's the foundation for the good news. But grace goes further than mercy. Because where mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'll explain it. Mercy is I've done wrong and I deserve to be punished. Well, I'm going to let you off the hook. Wow, that is mercy. But not only that, I'm also going to bless you and provide for you and help you. Not only did you not deserve the mercy, but you don't deserve the grace. God showed Saul, just like he shows all of us, grace and mercy. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me, keyword, abundantly. You know why grace is poured out abundantly? Because there's no other way to pour out grace does not come in small cups. Grace does not come in small. Grace, by definition, is abundance. Because where mercy is letting me off the hook, grace is like giving me what I don't deserve. Grace poured out abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ. Saul was shown mercy, but Saul was also shown grace, and grace abundantly. And you know what? That isn't just reserved for Saul. That's true for you today too. 
whether you're watching online or in the room, God pours out and has poured out his grace in our lives abundantly. There is no part of anyone's life that is beyond the ability of God's grace. It doesn't matter what you've done, what was done to you, where you're from, what you believe, what you've said, who you've done it to, God's mercy and God's grace is available to you today. Grace always has an answer. Answer to what? Well, we see where Paul was a blasphemer, where Paul spoke badly and negatively and mocked Jesus, Jesus was gracious. He was generous. He was kind. Where Saul was a persecutor and was against the church and showed no faith, didn't care, Jesus was faithful. Where Saul did not believe in God, God believed in Saul. God saw the man, the person he could become. Someone who was helping, someone who was kind, someone who was generous, someone who was encouraging through all the anger and violence. And where Saul was violent, God was loving. See, grace has an answer to everything in us that is flawed and not working. And part of the good news is that we don't have to do this life alone. We, that grace is available to you today. That grace is available to us right now. And maybe the thing that we're trying to overcome by ourselves is overcomable, if I can use that word, not by somehow upskilling ourselves with knowledge or strength or getting smarter or whatever it is, but actually just by accepting God's grace in our lives. Paul continues in verse 15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying, therefore, that deserves full acceptance. So here's basically the premise, the result from all this stuff. The result of all this is simply this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's the trustworthy part that he says, of whom I am the worst. I mean, it's amazing. All these years later, and all the incredible things, and again, you can read Saul slash Paul's story in the book of Acts, all the amazing things that he did, and still later in life, as he looks back, and as he surveys how bad of a person he was, and how amazing, and how magnificent God's grace was and is in his life, his conclusion is still that he was the worst of the worst. Now, we don't know the answer, if that's true or not, because we can't see into the hearts of men and women. But God can. And as far as Paul was concerned, as he looked inside, he believed he was the worst. And the point is this, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That maybe, maybe Paul wasn't the worst. But let's just imagine he was. That even the worst of us, even the ones who speak and mock and attack and destroy and kill, even those who commit murder, even those who are corrupted, you know, who are just hell-bent on destroying God and His church, even the person who's furthest away on the spectrum from God is not beyond His mercy and grace, is not beyond God's ability to seek and save. Understand, it is the lost that Jesus came to seek and save. This is one of the things that we push back on, again, if you're you're not a Christ follower. We think church is for church people. Right? Church people go to church. Because we think church is a ceremony. Church is a ritual. Church is a liturgy. Church is for church people. But the truth is, church is a spiritual hospital. It's a first aid station for life. Because life is complicated. And not only do we want to help, we all need help. I need help. 
We need help. So any, the church is open to anyone who would be open to help. I mean, how many of us honestly would say, if mercy and grace were real, I don't need them. I need mercy. And I need grace for my life today. We come to church, not because we're Christians. Church is a place where we find Jesus. And Jesus finds us. I understand, it's not like we're lost because Jesus doesn't know where we are. <laughs> we call lost because we don't know where we are. Jesus knows exactly where you are. He's never left you. He's always beside you. But he will not take a place in your life that you will not willingly and invitingly allow him into. The Bible doesn't describe lost because lost because God doesn't know where we are. It's because we don't know where we are. And we don't know our way home. But Jesus does. And Paul said, I was the worst. If God can save the worst, he can save anyone. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming is simply that God gave his best in exchange for our worst. This is the gospel. Not that Saul deserved, right? Not that Saul was given what he deserved. Because we think, oh yeah, you've got to earn, you've got you to say the right words. I mean, people say, oh, I can't, I'm not ready for God. I'm not ready for you. I'm not ready because I have to, I have to fix myself. I've got to clean myself up. I can't be a witness because my life's a mess. When I fix myself, then I'll be able. But the whole point of the gospel message, you will never be able. It's not on your strength or power, but the strength and power of Jesus. The fact that Saul was given what, not what he deserved, but that God gave what he did not deserve. What he deserved was, was vengeance. What he deserved was justice. What he deserved was judgment. What he was given was love and mercy and grace. And in the same way, Saul was shown grace, mercy, and love. God shows us grace, mercy, and love. And he goes on to explain as he brings the kind of conversation to close in verse 16. What has this got to do with witnessing? He says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience. <laughs> Come on, how many of you like me, we stretch God's patience? I mean, I don't know how long God's patience is, but I'm sure I get like 90% of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, make these, I make things harder than it should be. And the Apostle Paul is saying that, you know, his life is an example for those who would believe in him. And so Paul's saying that the whole point of God showing him mercy is if God could use the worst of us, the furthest away of us, the most against us, then God can touch, heal, save, give hope to redeem anyone of us. That Paul essentially is an example. The, the, the amazing transformation of story of Saul slash Paul is an example. An example of what? Not of human perfection. Not of human performance. But of God's power. See, we think church and religion, it's all about trying to act perfect and it's all about performing. And many of us, we, we reject the Christian message. We reject Christianity because that's what we've been shown is a pop into church, act a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way, leave church, and you're a completely different person. And we go, what is that about? We're, lo we're looking for something authentic, something real, something that's, that, that's, that's, that's real, and yet all we see are all these people who are called Christians, but they're fake. 
But there is a difference, right? Because there are those who try to act perfect, pretend, and they're not. And they're the ones we've got to look out for. Those are ones that are dangerous. But then there are those who never said they were perfect. They never, they never, that's not their goal. They're simply trying to follow Jesus. And yes, we fall. And yes, we slip up because we're, we're normal, simple human beings. But yet God's power is at work within us. He has changed us. He is changing us. And like we keep saying, Jesus not only makes our lives better, but Jesus makes us better at life. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, listen, you don't need to have all the moral authority in the, in the world to be a witness. Your example is your witness. My example of my perfect Christian behavior? No. Your example of your brokenness, your sinfulness, your, your, your powerlessness to fix yourself. Why do you keep saying, I'm going to change? I'm going to next year. I'm going to, do, I'm going to get better. I'm going, we always make these confessions of change. Yet we never change. Because we can't, because we have no power to do it by ourselves. But all of a sudden we meet someone who we know is a friend, our family member, they're the same way for years, and then all of a sudden they have an encounter with God. And they're completely changed. And we're going, what happened to you? I found Jesus. What does that mean? It means something in me has changed forever. Forever. I didn't attend a, I remember when I became a Christ follower and it was in between uh, fifth year and sixth year. Fifth year, no, I repeat fifth year. Fifth year and fifth year, because that's how I am. And uh, they do it twice. And, and when I went back to school after finding Jesus in summer, the principal phoned my parents and was like, what medication is your son on? And where was the institution lies in the summer? And should we be concerned? And they were like, we don't know what's going on. Apparently, he found Jesus. I'll tell you what was going on. I was the worst of these. And God saved me and set me free. And I wasn't acting or pretending. God changed me. And all of a sudden, things that were important to me, things I would have laughed at, people that I thought were important to me changed. Because I looked around and I thought, man, what am I doing with my life? There's more. There is more. There is more. Not because I am more, but because he is more. And he has given me in his power the ability to live out that more, as we say, as an extraordinary purpose. The point is, it's not that we are the example, our lives, our perfection, our perfect Christian record, but it's that he is the example in us. I know too many people who are called Christians and know every verse of the Bible, but are nothing like Christ. And then I meet people who know Jesus a month and they're the most Christ-like people I've ever seen. Why? Because the key to being like Christ is be with Christ. Not be in church, not be Christian, be like Christ. The closer we are to Christ, the more we speak like him, the more we act like him, the more we respond like him. And Christ is love incarnate, love in flesh. He is merciful, he is kind, he is gracious, he is patient. He is sacrificial. Oh, can you imagine what our church could be in this community if we were a church full of Christ-like people, Christ followers? You see, Paul's message wasn't his lifestyle, his perfection, his behavior. Paul's message was his story. The reason why Paul could witness, the reason why Paul could be an example was because no one could change or take away from him his story of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. 
And of course, this is the challenge, isn't it, for all of us in the room who are Christ followers. This is our challenge today, that even though it may not be the most exciting story, and that's next week's message, by the way, okay, even though it's not the most, you know, powerful story, we still have a story. And it's your story, and it's my story, and it's our story. And the challenge for us as Christ followers is that we are to follow Jesus by being witnesses of his love in our story to the world. And it may not be impressive, and it may not be full of, you know, fireworks and all these things, but I'm sure as you tell it, I'm sure as you, you share of God's love in your life, God will use your story to impact someone's life. We're called to follow Jesus by being witness of his love in the world. So Paul finishes off his conversation, verse 17. He says, Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul doing? He's getting excited. As he's telling a story in written form, he's going, oh, God saved me. God showed me mercy. God showed me grace. As he's thinking about all the things that God did for him, his only response was worship. Maybe you're here or watching online and think, man, why do people go to church and lift their hands and sing? It seems so weird. Let me tell you something. We all lift our hands to the things that we worship. Hello? I was standing in the Viva Stadium yesterday watching Ireland beat Scotland. I watched 80,000 people. Without fear, the quietest introverts and the loudest extroverts lifting their hands, cheering for Ireland. I was right there with the biggest Irish flag you've ever seen, singing away, low lie the fields of Athenry, bye, let's go. And I was there, and I was thinking, this is so great, here we are. Because you know what, Ireland's important to us. For some, sport is what we worship. We're not afraid to do silly things when we see the value of something. Well, in church, the most valuable person, the most valuable thing in our life is Jesus. And so it may look funny to you. One day I used to mock people like me. But it makes total sense now. That every time we gather, we lift our hands and say, I am not God, but you are. And oh, how I need you. And we don't need to have a perfect life to lift our hands and worship. Because we acknowledge a perfect God, not a perfect life. You see, Saul's mess became Paul's message. Saul's mess became Paul's message. Saul became an example of the fact that God saves us through the gospel. Saul, again, became an example of the fact that God saves us through the gospel. But Paul became a witness of the fact that God can use our lives that should be for the gospel. I don't know where you are in life right now. I don't know where you are in terms of your journey, what's going through your head right now. But what I know is this, is that we all have the opportunity to make a difference in this world. And we may feel our life has disqualified us because there's all sorts of things, there's mess all over the place. But we don't have to be perfect to make a difference in this world. I was reminded of this this week, I was reading the story of Alfred Nobel. You know this guy because he is the founder of the Nobel Peace Prizes, right? Did you know where Alfred Nobel made all his money? He made dynamite, that's right. He made dynamite, and uh, it's a long story, I won't get into it. Basically, one day, his brother had died, and in the local paper, they, they got it wrong. They thought he had died, not his brother, and wrote an obituary for him. And all of a sudden, 65 years old, he realized that his whole life was summarized by a statement of this, that he was like the inventor or the general of death. His whole life 
will be remembered for one thing, that he created something for good that was used for bad and harmed people. And at 65, Alfred Nobel said, my story's not done yet. Maybe I don't have the moral authority to be, to be the example or to be the standard of, of, of pri- you know, prize giving for acts of humanitarian or art or whatever you know, categories there are, but I can still do something. So what he did was he decided to take all of his wealth, all of his estates, and bequeath it to helping people who help people and to set up the Nobel Peace Prize process, which today is obviously known for the opposite, for people who give their lives to helping people live life. The point is that we don't have to be 65 and the inventor of something bad to do something good. God gives us the opportunity today. What do we do when our life is a mess? Well, answer, when our life is a mess, like Saul's was, God can still use us to be a witness for the message. Well, how can he? Let's again conclude. By becoming an example to the world of what God can do in the worst of us. Not by our strength. Not by our might, not by our performance, but by the power of God because of his grace and his mercy. And as we go into a prayer time in just a moment, I want to say to you that God's grace is here for you. And maybe you're here, you're not a Christ follower. It's time to wake up again. That's just over. I want you to know that God's grace is available to you. Maybe you're tired of trying to change your life by yourself and you can't do it. God's power is available to you. Maybe you feel like you've no more you've no more authority for anything, let alone be a witness. God's grace is available to you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christ follower and you haven't been following Christ, let's be honest. I don't know any details, no one's texting me, but you know. God knows. And you're saying, man, I want to be able to follow, I want to be Christ-like. I don't want to be in two camps. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Someone who says one thing and lives different. I want to be a follower of Jesus. God's grace is here for you today. I can't control or guarantee what the outcome is. All I can say is this. All I can say I know for certain is this. Is that if we open our hearts today to God's grace, to his mercy, to his love and his power, not only can God change our lives forever, but God can use our lives to make a difference in this world.